0: kids get to experience that talent offering every week. As as they aren't, don't they do a great job? Don't they do awesome? Come on. Give them some love. They do an awesome job. Awesome job. Oh, wow. I don't know how I'm gonna follow that. We're just gonna trust God to take it from here, right? So I'm hardy throwing things. All right. So, we were, we're in week five of a five-week series called Relationships 101, right? So, if you feel like you're in week five, you missed the first four weeks, well, you can go listen to it online, or you can just pick up where we are here. That's fine, too. I, think, I don't think you'll miss anything. Well, I think you will, but it's okay. So, but as we talk about it, we've talked about kindness we've talked about communication we've talked about sex we've talked about love and now we're going to talk about conflict because none of us have any conflict in any of our relationships right no i didn't think so i fi- i almost skipped this message because i thought nobody needs to hear this but as we talk about conflict, I want to try to remind us of some things that we've covered so far in this series that I think will help us and help frame our discussion as we move forward, all right? We learned about earlier in the series, we learned about the difference between being understood and being felt, right? So when you're trying to explain something to someone and you're trying to get your point across, it's it's... Absolutely, the goal is to help them understand where you're coming from and what's going on, but can you make them feel the same way you feel? You really can't, okay? And keep that in mind as we deal with conflict, because oftentimes our conflicts result and escalate from us trying to make sure this person feels the same way I feel about something. You can't do that. You can't make somebody feel a certain way. We also talked about kindness, that kindness reflects God's greatness to the world. And it's important as we're dealing with conflict, because conflicts happen, right? That we do so in a way that reflects godliness, because that is really an opportunity to show others how wonderful our God is. We also talked about waffles and spaghetti, right? Waffles and spaghetti. It's the notion that people communicate differently. Generally, men act like waffles. They move from one compartment of their life to the next, and what happens in one doesn't necessarily affect the other, but as a general rule, women are very connected. What happens over here absolutely affects what happens over here and how they feel about this over here. We talked about it within the context of of sex, but that happens so much in the remainder of our lives too, right? There's a difference in the way we communicate, keep that in mind. We also talked about uh, agape, godly love, is a choice, not merely a feeling. Choosing to love, especially in times where your tension levels are already high, is really important if you wanna achieve the goal of resolving a conflict, right? So choosing to love, despite the fact that your heart is racing really fast because you're angry in a conflict, Despite your your desire to maybe run from the conflict, despite your desire to scream really loud, to, to get your point across, you have to remember to make the choice to love and to put the relationship first. And we'll get into that a little bit more. So this week's lesson will cover a number of texts as we look at conflict and focus on practical advice for learning to work through conflict together. We're going to talk about four things. We're going to talk about dodgeball, toothpaste, mockers, and triangles. Dodgeball, toothpaste, mockers, and triangles. Are you ready? Have you ever played dodgeball? How do you feel about dodgeball? Huh? Some say yes, some say no. Ah, you don't like getting hit. I don't like getting hit either. But do you like hitting other people with the ball? Some of you do because you giggled. (laughs) Or there was a smirk on your face, right? So the object of dodgeball is to not get out, right? That's That's the object of dodgeball. You wanna flip forward a slide for me? Dodgeball. Have you ever seen the movie? Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? So, dodgeball. Did you know that there's a World Dodgeball Association? What? That they had their first world championship in 2016. And by 2020, they expect 70 countries to be involved in the World Dodgeball Championships. I find that interesting because they don't even play it in school anymore. You're not even... Huh? That's bullying in game form. I, I, I think it is. I think it is. But, you know, I will openly admit that I never liked to play dodgeball because I didn't like to get hit. Pure and simple, I didn't like to get hit. And the, the, where this has a connection to conflict is I think sometimes when it comes to conflict, we treat it like a game of dodgeball. We don't like to get hit by it and so we avoid it at all costs. Any of of us fall in that category? Any of us try to avoid conflict at all costs? I'm not a big fan of it. I'm not a big fan of of conflict at all. So you should know that if I come to you to say something to you that I think will be conflicting, I'm doing it with a timid heart because I don't wanna do it. (laughs) I do it really because God tells me I have to, right? I have to do it, and so I do it, but it's not something I look forward to do. The problem is that conflict, though, in our lives is completely unavoidable, even in the best of relationships. I do think there is one way to stop conflict, though, and that's for everybody to just agree with me, because if you'd all come to the light side and just agree with me, we wouldn't have any more conflict. Is that correct? Right. How many of you feel that way sometimes, especially when you're in a conflict? If the person you're, if your person you're arguing with would just see the light, we wouldn't have to have this problem anymore, right? Right? True? Totally true. But even when you're pulling towards the same goals in life, it's possible, even in the closest of relationships, you're going to have some conflict. In Acts chapter 15, we see the story of of Paul and Barnabas and and John Mark. And they've been they've gone they've gone on their this is their second missionary journey, or Paul's second missionary journey. On the first missionary journey, John Mark had chosen to leave the group in the middle of the journey he had left. And on this journey, Paul and Barnabas, who traveled together closely, preaching the gospel, teaching people of the Lord, picking each other up in horrible situations and helping one another out, they are super tight, they're close friends, but even here, they have an argument over John Mark. It says, but Paul insisted that they should not take along this man, John Mark, who had deserted them in Pamphylia and they had not gone with them to the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed off to Cyprus. Even these two men who are focused on achieving the same goals, who are focused on teaching others of the Lord, who have walked together so closely and helped one another out and encouraged one another and stood up for one another, and they still have an argument. They still have a conflict. I think sometimes as we, as we consider conflict to be like dodgeball, we try to avoid this thinking if we can just stick and move fast enough, it will never come. It will never hit us, right? If I can just keep avoiding it, if I can just stay away from getting hit, right, eventually I'll win the game. I won't get out, I won't get hurt, I won't get hit, and the conflict will never happen. The ball will never hit me. That doesn't work, right? We all know that intrinsically. We know that that doesn't, at the end of the day, that doesn't work. The problem with this is that as we treat it like a game of dodgeball and we try to avoid it at every possible turn, when it does come, we don't know what to do with it. We have no idea what to do with it because we haven't experienced it because we're actively avoiding it, right? We're actively running from it. We don't take time to learn about it because who wants to? I'm not gonna have conflict. I've already figured out a way around it. I'm just gonna sidestep it, right? And we don't know what to do with it. And so when it hits us, we respond with fear because we don't know what to do. We respond with anger, or division, or avoidance. Psychology today calls this the triple A's. We end up in conflict because we're not good at dealing with it. We we apologize, agree, or accommodate. The problem is that that kind of avoidance actually escalates the conflict. Have you ever been felt the need to communicate with somebody? Usually, it's a spouse or a partner. You want to sit down with them and talk to them and talk through something and they avoid it like the plague right they find things to do i've been known to hide in the garage do you think that makes my wife feel any better what do you think it does it makes her madder it absolutely makes her more angry which just encourages me to continue to work harder to avoid the conflict because now she's even madder right it's because i don't want to deal with it because i don't i don't know how to deal with it but heather taught me something early on in our relationship that has served me well and us well okay Well, she heard it from my mother and it was this he can't read your mind, and I can't read her mind. Sometimes we're so busy avoiding the conflict that if we just would be willing to sit down with each other and tell each other what's going on, the conflict would probably go away. But because we're too busy avoiding it, we let our minds race. This person doesn't like me. They're mad at me. I know what they're thinking. They're thinking, duh, 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 but but do you really know what they're thinking? How do you resolve it? Okay. You sit down and you talk about it with love and kindness and patience, right? All of those things that we've talked about before. But that is so scary. It is so scary to be willing to sit down and confront a challenge or a difficulty or an issue because why you don't know how it's going to turn out right for two reasons one we actively avoid it whenever possible and so we're no good at it and two the outcome may not be what we hoped it would be and so we avoid it like the plague as I said, that actually escalates it. It makes it worse. If you've ever been on that side of that person who wants to talk it through and can't, you know it frustrates you. You know it makes you mad. You know it upsets you. But do you turn around and do it when you're the one who's trying to avoid the conflict? The thing is, conflict, when handled well, can be a good thing. If we look at the same chapter of Acts chapter 15, Paul and Barnabas and Peter went to the Jerusalem council and they went forward to speak to the council about this notion that everyone who came to know the Lord had to be circumcised first before they were allowed to follow the Lord. And so they came to the council and they said, no, that is not the case. They argued with the people of God, and and, and Peter says in chapter 15, verse 11, he says, On the contrary, we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way that they are. If Peter doesn't step up and say what needs to be said, if Peter and Paul and Barnabas aren't willing to take on the conflict, does it get resolved? And you're left with this misconception, this lie. In this case, this is a big lie, okay? This is a big problem because honestly, it means that none of us in here could be saved. That's what it means. It means that we would have to be Jewish first before we could become followers of Jesus Christ. Do you understand how big a fight that is? (laughs) that has eternal implications, eternal implications. Even from the very beginning of what it means to be the followers of Christ, they are willing to have those tough discussions with one another. They are willing to hear one another out. They are willing to to say the difficult things not knowing for sure how it's going to turn out. And yes, yet I see so often when we have challenges, even within the body of Christ, we're not willing to talk through them. We avoid them like the plague. If there's somebody who has upset us, we're not willing to go to them and talk it out because we don't want to deal with the conflict. If there's somebody we disagree with, we're not willing to have the discussion because we're afraid of it. And yet... What happened with this conflict was that they they walked away from this together with a greater understanding of what it meant to be saved, with a greater understanding of the importance of this message and the notion that salvation comes through faith and the grace of Jesus Christ, that there aren't hoops you have to jump through to get there. It's about trusting Him, it's about giving yourself to Him and trusting in his grace, and you don't have to be perfect, and you don't have to go through all these different rites and procedures, imagine if that conversation hadn't happened. Oof. Conflicts can help us learn. They can help us learn new ideas and perspectives as they did in the council. They, those three guys taught the council something. Right? They open their eyes to the possibilities. Conflicts can help us grow. As we know, John Mark was uh, was separated from this group. Did you know that later on he would come back to the group? That Paul in 2 Timothy would say that John Mark is of, of great service. That he is that, that, that the Colossians he said they should make him welcome. And did you know that John Mark wrote the Gospel of Mark? Paul and Barnabas, Paul especially, if you've read any of his letters, Paul spends a lot of time arguing with people. But do you notice he never slams the door shut? He never shuts the door and says, I'm not talking to you anymore. We're not going to discuss this. He leaves it open for the possibility of helping us grow and helping each other learn and allowing for an opportunity to heal. Did you ever think that conflict could bring healing? It can. If you're willing to engage in it, whether that be with a friendship. I have a friend, <laughs> one of my best friends since I was five. Um, he and I and another gentleman, well, I'm not a gentleman at the time. He was a kid, right? We were all friends. There were three of us all together. And the third one said something about my other friend's sister, he was 12 right and my current my friend who's been my friend since i was 5 and still is will not to this day talk to that person which is really unfortunate because had they just had a discussion probably this is resolved cuz he would have said he was sorry and he would have accepted it and that would have been that but this is this is a uh, relationship rift that's 35 years old. If you think about it, are there relationships in your world that are that old, that are broken, have been broken for that long, that you stopped talking to because of a disagreement, that you assumed you knew what they were thinking and you just walked away from it and avoided the conflict? If you think deeply, there probably are those things Those unresolved conflicts that make things worse rather than better if you avoid them. So how do we move towards good conflict? The first one is toothpaste. That is how we move towards good conflicts. Toothpaste we have to use. I'm thankful that all of you did this morning. At least I think you did, right? I know I did, and you should be thankful that I did. We all use toothpaste, and, and the active ingredient in toothpaste is sodium hydroxide. It's one of the active ingredients in, in toothpaste. It is, creates a pH balance. It's used in a lot of products. It's used, in, it's used to balance pH in drinking water. It's used to balance pH in soap. Okay, it's a wonderful stuff. But do you know what other name sodium hydroxide goes by? lie how many of you know what lie is it's caustic it is caustic nasty stuff it's it's put in household cleaners to it's what makes it possible to scrub things off the bottom of the scum off the bottom of your tub Right? It is so caustic that a man in a Mexican drug cartel is said to have dissolved 300 bodies with it. Right? I only say it because I want you to hear that toothpaste has that. Every morning you put that in your mouth. Even Tom's of Maine, if you use the, the natural stuff from Tom's, still has it in it. You, did you know that? Huh, sodium hydroxide, you didn't know that? I didn't know it either until I started reading about it. In conflict, words are our active ingredient. They are the active ingredient and if if they are used properly in the right amounts and in the right ways, they can do incredible things. Toothpaste, freshens your breath, keeps your teeth from rotting. I think those are good things, right? You think those are good things? Yeah. Those are good things. Universally, I think we could say that. But used in improper amounts, it can be a bit of a problem. Proverbs 18.21 20, says it this way. It says, Death and life are the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. The tongue has the power of life and death. Choosing your words... Matters. So often when we're in the midst of a conflict, we're angry, right? We're angry. And when we're angry, do you choose your words well? If I had a nickel for every time I have said something that I wished I could shove it back in my mouth, it's a bit like trying to put toothpaste back in the tube, right? It doesn't work. Your words. Matter in a conversation. I have these discussions with couples all the time that your words matter. Don't make snide comments. Don't belittle somebody else. And can I just tell you, that's not even in the conflict. That should be a part of your daily life, is treating each other with courtesy and honesty and respect in all things. Because those little digs that you think are just funny eat away at your relationship they eat away at it so how do you learn to bring the fruit of life to our tongues instead of death how do we learn to love that fruit instead the first is this brush your teeth daily brush your teeth daily so that your words it's automatic for you to respond positively it's automatic for you to use good words. James chapter 4, verse 11 says, do not speak against one another and do not complain against one another. It says, monitor your words, make corrections, admit errors, grow from your mistakes. Choose day in and day out to train your mind and your mouth to be godly in the way it expresses itself. I remember the first time I ever said a bad word in front of my father. We were driving over the Olentangy River. And I looked down, and there was trash floating in the river. And I said something nasty about how the way it looked. And my dad whipped his head around. And I was like, I, I, I'm going to die now. I'm, <laughs> he's going he's to open the door, and he's going to throw me off the bridge. Didn't happen. I'm still here. So, But he goes, you know, the problem with that is that this means if you let it slip in front of me, it means you're using this word all the time. True or false? Totally true. Totally true. And that's only exacerbated when we're upset. If you already make biting comments to one another when you're upset, guess what? They're going to get worse. If you already cuss at one another, guess what? It's going to get worse. But if you already treat each other with courtesy and love and kindness, and you build each other up in your discussions daily, every day, what happens when you're upset? You're more mindful of using those words. Make sense? really is about practicing what you preach. It's really about being and living into that so that when it happens, you're ready. The other one is used uses directed. As I said before, you can't cram toothpaste back in the tube, right? You can't cram words back in your mouth. You can't unsay anything. And that's where agape love is really critical in this conversation, because agape love is eternal rather than temporal. It keeps in mind the notion that this is long-term. This, everything I say has long-term implications. That my love for my wife is eternal. That my love for my friends is eternal. That my love for the Lord is eternal frames how I choose to speak. Because I can't unsay it. I can't undo it. And if my love is really unconditional if my love is really eternal, as agape is, then my desire is to seek to build up rather than tear down. My desire is to seek to have my tongue be the fruit of life rather than the fruit of death. Your tongue has that power. The second thing we're gonna look at is the mocker. The mocker of pride. Proverbs 21, 24 says, The proud and arrogant person, the mocker is his name. He behaves with insolent fury. When you're in a conflict, especially as a guy, confessionally, if my pride gets hurt in the midst of a conflict, I will come out swinging. Anybody else feel that way? Jessica. Wow. Girls have that problem too? Okay. If my pride gets hurt in a conflict, I almost lose the ability sometimes to, to think clearly through the rest of the discussion because my pride took a hit. Most of the time, when I see people, especially couples again, when I see them fight, it's because the guy's pride has been hurt somewhere along the way and he stopped caring for his wife now. He's angry. And what's important is he's trying to defend this thing called pride. Pride is the mocker. Another word for that would be fake. Another word for that would be dummy. I looked it up and the synonym for mocker was dummy. And I will openly tell you that my pride makes me look dumb. Dumb. When I'm too busy trying to defend it instead of trying to resolve the issue, I lose sight completely. It's often the heaviest load that we carry into a conflict because we desire to protect it. We become defensive and angry and irrational, and we start to focus on rightness instead of righteousness. We start to focus on that instead. If you're going into a conflict, you need to drop your pride at the door. Be aware of that. Be aware of the notion that your pride will inhibit your ability to solve a conflict. Know that. Know it when you walk in. Awareness, right? As G.I. Joe used to say in the 1980s, knowing is half the battle. How many of you are old enough to know that? See? There you go. Knowing is half the battle, it totally is. Being aware of the notion that you are probably going to have your pride hurt when you walk into a conflict, and it may cause you to get angry, should hopefully cause you to pause, right? Pause and say, is this anger righteous, or is this anger about my pride getting nicked? Because there's a difference. I would say also, don't take yourself so seriously when you enter a conflict. Leave room for both of you to grow. Leave room for both of you to grow from a conflict. I don't know about you, but when I enter a conflict, I enter a conflict assuming that I'm right, you're wrong, and I'm trying to make you see my way. Yes? Okay. That is so arrogant. That is so arrogant. Leave room for both of you to grow. I I try very hard to assume when I enter a conflict that I'm gonna learn something from it too. That's not easy. But it's necessary because it keeps my pride level down where it needs to be and it doesn't make me look like a dummy. And I would say also make room for God to show you the righteous way to solve the problem. Do you ever pray before you enter a conflict? Here's a really neat way to feel good about entering a conflict if you're angry with somebody, walk up to them and say, hey, I'm frustrated. Can we pray and then have a discussion about this? Can we invite God into this? Talk about lowering the stress level right away. Now, you can't do that with everybody if somebody doesn't have that reference point. If God's not important to them, it's really hard to offer that. But if, especially here, if we are two Christians who both know the Lord, should not, that not be the first step to resolving a conflict? To invite God into it? To show you the righteous way instead of the right way? Which leads us to our next thing, triangles. Triangles are one of my favorite concepts when it comes to addressing and dealing with conflict. Now, I am I, I'm reticent to, to use this text because it gets misused all the time in our world the verse i did not put up is verse 20 and it says wherever two or three are gathered together the holy spirit is present okay we use it often to say well if we're just meeting together the holy spirit's there can i give you two things one the holy spirit is always with you okay and two that text has nothing to do with people gathering it has everything to do with people fighting Everything to do with people arguing with one another. The entire context is that. So let's read. It says, if your brother sins against you and you go and rebuke him in private, if he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if you won't listen, take one or two others with you so that by the testimony of two or three witnesses, every fact may be established. This is called triangling. Triangling is taking two people that are having a conflict and inviting a third person into the conflict. Do you ever do that? I bet you do. If you ever go to somebody else, if you're mad at a friend of yours, do you ever go to another friend and say, do you know what they did to me? Guess what you just did? You just triangled. Do you ever do you ever invite somebody to come with you and say, I need you on my side in this fight? We we need to go straighten this person out. Guess what you just did? You just triangled. Do you ever gossip about somebody you're upset with? Guess what you just did? You just triangled. We do it all the time. It is is an inherent part of who we are to want others to agree with us, to want others to be on our side. It supports our argument. It supports our perspectives. We want that. We do it inadvertently. I just told you the first person you should triangle in is who? God. You should triangle in God immediately. No questions asked. That should be the first thing you should do. But there is a way to build good triangles. And as we read this text, I want us to understand this. One, this text teaches us to keep the relationship first. That's why it says go to the person one-on-one and talk to them. Remember that part about we avoid it like the plague? And yet God says, go solve it. Go right to them. Then if they don't listen, then you involve as many as necessary and as few as possible. It's purely wise. Because when you involve an entire group of people, if I call you out in front of somebody... What immediately happens? Yep, <laughs> Right? Guns blazing because you're, you're backed into a corner and fighting for your life, you feel like, right? As many as necessary and as few as possible. But the, the part of this text that I really, really love is when it says to bring in a, a brother or two with you. It says that so by the testimony of two or three witnesses, every fact may be established. It doesn't say which two or three people. And we assume that if I'm bringing you into an argument with me, the goal is for you to support me in the argument. Is it? Or is the goal for you to test as an impartial observer who is righteous in the conflict rather than who is right in the conflict? If I'm being honest with myself, I need to be very careful not to take somebody into a discussion or triangle them in because I think they'll agree with me, but because I trust that they will bring an unbiased perspective. When you choose to triangle somebody into an argument, it's not our natural bent to pick somebody who's going to give me an unbiased perspective it's gonna it's it's to bring somebody with me who's gonna agree with me is that not your bent right choose to choose know your own motives know that your pride can get nicked know that you can get defensive know that you bring baggage to an argument we all do if you're upset you've got baggage and know that this text does not teach you to bring somebody to the argument with you so you can prove that guy wrong so much as it's to bring somebody with you to help make sure a righteous outcome comes. Because when two or three of you gather together in this argument or this discussion, right, the Holy Spirit is present. And the Holy Spirit will guide you through the discussion. But you have to choose to bring objective people. The person who's just going to say, yeah, you're right, may not be the person you need to bring, The person who will who has the courage to tell you you're wrong, might be the person you need to bring. I dated a girl in high school that um, we were engaged and we got unengaged for very good reasons, because I'm with Heather. See. And when we got unengaged, her mother wouldn't talk to her for two weeks. Her mother wouldn't talk to her for two weeks. She said, what did you do to him? First of all, for the record, it was me that did the bad thing, not her, right? For the record. I had to go to her mom and say, what are you doing? Why are you screaming at your daughter? You should be yelling at me because here's the list of st- stupid things I did that caused this, Right? it would have been really easy for me to pile on to that girl and just join her mother in the process, right? And say, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was not what I wanted to do to go to talk to her mom. Who wants to do that? But it needed to happen. And as things should be, her mom was then angry with me, which is exactly how it should have been. In retrospect, I didn't like it at the time, but it's what it should have been. Be careful when you triangle people in that you're not triangling them in to make you feel good about yourself. That you're triangling them in to find the righteous path. And that the first person you triangle in is who? God. Dodgeball, toothpaste, mockers, and triangles. Four things that will help us biblically get through conflict. That finishes up our series for the this series. Next week, we're going to have a guest speaker. His name is Jeremy Ryan. He is the, uh, let me get this right, web and advertising director at Shine FM. We're going to be starting a new series that I hope to do on a recurring basis called This Is My Story, where we just have people tell their story, tell the story of, of how God has managed them through their life, how God has helped them get through the most difficult times as God, how God has shown up, how God has, has helped them become who God, he desires them to be. And if you don't know Jeremy and his story, do not miss Jeremy and his story because it's one of those that will leave you going, <clears throat> right? I would have never seen that coming. It is a powerful testimony. And it's a series I hope to, to that we continue to do sporadically all year long every few months i would love to have people talk about their experiences with god because as much as i love to talk i'm not the only person who's been touched by the lord is that true okay because i do like to talk but all right so we close our service every time with something we call prayer time family prayer the goal of this time is for us to encourage one another, to be with one another, to express our public prayers. We, we had some written down ahead of time. If there's anybody who would like to volunteer to be a prayer warrior today to come up and pray with people, we would love to have you do that. So what I'm going to have you do is I'm going to have everybody stand up because it is less awkward to get out of your seat and come up front if everybody else is already standing up. And there, are, there will be people that we are calling prayer warriors that will be here up front for you. That's what they're here for. They're here for you to pray with you. If you have something private, something you, don't, you really want to get off your chest or that you need to deal with, maybe it's about a conflict that you need to learn how to resolve, right? Who knows? But they're here for you. The prayer will go no further than them if that's what you need. If you have a public prayer request, You'll have a chance right after I'm done with this. I will walk out here and we'll talk. Okay? You ready to play? Awesome. So public prayer requests that I have first. Holly has asked us to pray for Brooke, Brooke's family, as Brooke's father has passed away from cancer. She also has asked us to pray for the troops because she always asks us to pray for the troops. I pray today for the Sonny Jackson family, and Sonny's passing. I pray for Charlotte, and their kids as they make arrangements and as they say goodbye to somebody so special. If you know Sonny, uh, he's a man who loved children. And he, uh, his viewing is this afternoon from two to four if you have time. And the funeral is tomorrow. Barb Culp has asked us to pray for Jan Smith. Uh, Friend Becky Warner has passed away. Keep that family in prayers, please. Keith continues to lift up Brian. Uh, We don't know his last name. We know he is likely living in a park in Bell Fountain right now. And Keith has had opportunity to connect with him and see him and and just reach out to him. I would like to ask for prayers today for uh, a young lady named named Bobby, who is having um, a real challenge in finding herself in the Lord. She's finding trying to find acceptance and love in all the wrong places. And um, I would pray for her to see him working, to see Jesus working in her life, and to see the people that have come around her to bless her, to remind him of his presence. Anything else? Anybody else? Something you feel like you need God to hear today? Pray for Keith. You know, if Keith, if you don't know Keith, he's got um, immune issues anyways because he's on drugs to keep his organs from rejecting. He's an organ transplant. So he's sick. So for him to be sick, that's kind of a bigger deal than it is for most of us. Anything else? Okay. Okay. Mark's dad is at Mount Carmel in Westerville. Oh, was he? Okay. Um, he's had an ongoing septicemia issue, an infection internal. Um, it's back. It's flared up bad. Um, and that can be life-threatening. Um, we don't know when he'll be released. We don't know when. We would pray for the doctors to, be, to get that under control, to get that infection under control and to find healing for that and for his back and for his hips and for his legs yes ew okay we have a prayer for Vicki Maxson okay she fell it's it's this gentleman's mom Scott is that your name yes Scott's mom she fell and cracked her ribs Uh, we pray for healing for that yes 5K that you have, that you're doing in honor of of Ivy. Ivy. That's right. Okay. I know you do, Holly. I know you do. I know you do. Is there anything else? Anybody else? Anybody else ready to make a commitment to God today? No. Silence. Yes. Yes. Okay, praise God. Your mom continues to do better every week, right? Because she's under great care at Green Hills, right? <laughs> Anything else? Well, let's let's close in prayer. Father God, I'm so thankful for your love and your strength, your mercy, and your grace, and I pray that as we go through our week this week, that you will give us two things. One, the courage to talk to one another when we are angry. To remember that that your love covers all. That from conflict, incredible things can happen if we're only courageous enough to step into it knowing that you've got our backs. I pray that also during those challenges, the difficulties that you will guide our words, you will guide our hearts and our actions that we will turn to you to lead to bring us to a righteous conclusion rather than simply a right conclusion. God, we are mindful of all the prayers that have been stated today and those unstated today. I pray today for the hearts of those who are hurting, for those who do not know you yet, but need to. Pray that we will learn all to lay our burdens down at your feet knowing that you can carry them that you can bring healing where no one else can, that you can bring strength where there is weakness. Lord, we are thankful for your eternal unfailing love, We are thankful and humbled by your graces and mercies that are renewed every morning. I pray for peace and strength as we go forward and we have opportunity to be your witnesses in the world shining brightly for you. It is in Jesus' holy name that we pray, amen.